everyone. Have you listened to our new podcast, 5 a.m. Theology, yet? We go through the Bible chronologically, picking out passages to discuss and dissect. The episodes are only 10 minutes long, but there's a whole lot of theology packed into them. That's because sometimes we do our best thinking in the wee hours of the morning. Check out 5 a.m. Theology, available on all podcast platforms, Rumble, and YouTube. Welcome to another episode of No Trash, Just Truth. No Trash, Just Truth is a podcast of Proverbs 910 Ministries. We're your hosts, Rose Spiller and Chris Paxson. Welcome back. Like we were mentioning last week, when you read and study all 12 of the minor prophetic books, you see a lot of the same repetitive things. You see they're saying a lot of the same things, but like we were also pointing out, they do have their own unique perspective or spin on it. And today's minor prophet, Habakkuk, is no different. Like many of the other prophets, his prophecy contains judgment against the southern nation of Judah because of their wickedness, but it also contains judgment against Judah's enemies, Some something some of the other books do have too. However, the book of Habakkuk never addresses either nation directly. Habakkuk addresses God. Yes, he does. And it's pretty potent stuff. The book of Habakkuk is only three chapters long, and it's one of the easiest prophetic books to understand. We don't know much about the prophet Habakkuk. We don't really know much about him himself, is what I mean. At the end of the book, he writes a psalm, and he ends with these words, to the choir master with stringed instruments. That's Habakkuk 3, verse 19. So it's quite possible that Habakkuk was a priest who was in charge of worship. And it's obvious, as we're going to see, that he's a man who hates the wickedness that he sees around him. He hates the rampant sin that's being committed, especially by his fellow Judahites. And he's wondering why God doesn't do something about it, something that Rose, I'm sure all of us have felt at times. Why doesn't God do something about the wickedness that we see? Yeah, I know. I admit there's a lot of times I know God's justice will prevail in the end, but I pray, Lord, it would be nice to see some earthly justice. Right. And Habakkuk prays. He doesn't just stew about it on the inside. He goes to God with his complaints and he's pretty bold about it. He is pretty bold. And when it comes to dating Habakkuk's visions that he gets, the wickedness he mentions in his first complaint has caused some differences of opinion about when he wrote his book. Some scholars date his prophecy from 686 BC through 640 BC, and that was the time of wicked kings like Manasseh and his son Ammon, who reigned in Judah. Judah's sin during that time fits the bill for Habakkuk's complaint without a doubt. They worshipped Baal, they sacrificed their sons in the fire to the god Moloch, they used mediums, they practiced fortune-telling, they worshipped Asherah, which was a pagan god of fertility, they worshipped the sun and the moon and a whole host of other pagan practices. For the same reason, though, some date his prophecy much later during the time of two other wicked kings, 
Jehoahaz, who reigned for only three months in 609 BC, and his successor, Jehoiakim. The only concrete thing that helps us date Habakkuk's prophecy at all is the first part of God's answer to him about his first complaint. And this happens right after his complaint. God says, I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. That's Habakkuk 1, 5b through 6a. Chaldeans is another name for Babylonians. So we're going to use Babylonian or Babylon from now on here. But from this verse, we know that Habakkuk prophesied sometime before Babylon conquered Judah, but we don't know how long before. I admit, Chris, I love that line in Habakkuk where God says, I am doing something you cannot even imagine. That gives me so much hope and comfort and encouragement. I know. Me too. But back to the dating of Habakkuk. There's another possibility for dating Habakkuk's prophecy. Sandwiched in between the four wicked rulers that we've already mentioned, Judah has a righteous king named Josiah who reigned from 641 to 609 BC. We said that's when Zephaniah's prophecy was. Josiah started bringing reform to the nation in his 12th year, which was around 628 BC. And he bought reform not only to Judah, but to parts of Northern Israel too. Yeah, he did. He destroyed all the high places. He burned the pagan altars and the ashram poles. And I'm quoting from the Bible here. He removed all the shrines of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made, provoking the Lord to anger. He did to them according to all that he had done in Bethel. And he sacrificed the altar priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned human bones on them. Rose Josiah cleaned up the place. Yeah, he really did. It's an amazing story if you read all he did. Yeah. He even led the nation in the largest Passover since the time of the prophet Samuel. That's huge. But when you read the accounts of Josiah's reign, it's clear that while he and a remnant of priests and other people were sincerely devoted to God, it doesn't seem like the general population truly had heart transformation. No. And when you read the accounts of King Josiah's reforms in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, you read that he made a covenant before the Lord to walk in the Lord's way. And it says, then he made all who were present in Jerusalem and in Benjamin join in it. He made all who were present in Israel serve their Lord your God. And that's a paraphrase from 2 Chronicles 34, verses 31 to 33. And that lasted. That lasted until he died. Chris, you always say, as the leader goes, so goes the people. And that was the case with Josiah. But it wasn't a true heart change, as we say. No, it wasn't. It was more like he enforced these rules for a lot of them, but they still at least had the desire and maybe even in secret were worshiping false gods. And that brings us back to Habakkuk. It's very likely that Habakkuk's prophecy started around 625 BC. That's only a few years after King Josiah started taking away the people's idol worship. So we see Habakkuk's prophecy didn't have to happen during the reign of a wicked king. The people in large part were still wicked themselves, despite this outward reform that King Josiah made. And I think Josiah is a great example, just like Joshua. When Joshua died, 
we get to the book of judges where the people and the leaders were terrible. Like you said. Yeah, you you can enforce all kinds of reforms and lead people well. And it doesn't mean that they have true heart change. Right. It can look good on the outside and still not be good. Yeah. And that date of 625 also lines up with the time that Babylon began to rise in power. They declared their independence from Assyria's rule over them in 625. So that date you mentioned, Chris, the date that Babylon declared their independence from Assyria in 625 BC, that date would make Habakkuk a contemporary of Jeremiah and Zephaniah, who we talked about last week. Chapter one begins Habakkuk's conversation with God. And here's what he says. He says, oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Was this written in the 500s or was this written like last week? <laughs> Could be either. So <laughs> Habakkuk has pretty strong words that he's questioning God about. I know. Why are you idle? That's yeah. something I can't imagine myself saying to God. No, I don't think I would have the nerve to either. No, but this is a bold prayer. And I'm not suggesting any of us use those words to God, but Habakkuk did. And of course, we know, and Habakkuk knew also, that God heard his cry. Of course, God knows about the violence and the destruction and the sinfulness of the people that claim to be his. Of course, God saw his law broken and how they perverted justice over and over and over. Habakkuk knew all of that was true. He just wants God to act. And the answer he gets is going to be somewhat disconcerting or a lot disconcerting. Yeah. So how does God answer Habakkuk's question? Well, here's what he says. He says, wait for it. I am doing something. Here again, we see the theme of waiting on God. God tells Habakkuk that he's raising up the Babylonians to come and conquer Judah as punishment for Judah's wickedness. Chapter one of Habakkuk verses six to 11 describes the Babylonians. It says, for behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings, not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings, they scoff, and at rulers, they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up the earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. Can you imagine hearing that as your answer? You think Habakkuk might have been a little sorry he asked? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure I would have wanted to know. I mean, Habakkuk is shocked. He knows how evil Judah is, and he knows that they deserve divine punishment. 
But to think that God's going to bring in even more wicked people against them as that punishment makes him bring a second complaint to God. And he says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them as judgment. And you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are pure eyes then to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? So we see from Habakkuk's words that he has good theology. He's not suffering from bad theology like we saw Jonah was. He knows God is eternal. He knows God has eternal plans for his people, but he's still struggling at how a good and gracious God could bring a more wicked nation than Judah against them as punishment. I think Habakkuk's looking for reform, not punishment. Yeah. So what does Habakkuk do next? He waits. In his words, I will take my stand at my watch list and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And here's the answer God gives him. Write the vision on tablets so that the people can read it. The time for punishment to come has already been appointed. Even if it seems slow, wait for it. I will definitely come. Here we go again, Rose, with this wait for it. Mm -hmm. The Babylonians are prideful and puffed up. They're greedy. God says they're not righteous. He agrees with that. God will bring judgment on them. But until then, God says the righteous are to live by faith. And the rest of God's answer in chapter two is a list of five woes against the Babylonians. Woe oracles are generally two parts, a statement of the wrong and a pronouncement of the judgment that's coming as a result of that wrong. So this list of woes could fit many of the wicked today. Oh, yes, and, it could. And Chris, just because we keep making correlations with Revelation, Revelation also has a bunch of woes in it. Yes, it does. And people need to heed them. I'll go with the first woe. The first woe is, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Now, the Babylonians plundered many nations. They stole what was not theirs. They forced conquered people to pay large tribute taxes to them. They even took human hostages and pledged. But someday, they will reap what they've sown. And we see that happen. Eventually, Babylonia is conquered by the Medes and the Persians. And the second woe that's mentioned is, woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high to be safe from the reach of harm. The Babylonians considered themselves unshakable and safe from harm. They built their wealth and supposed national and personal security at the expense of others. But God says even the building materials they use cry out against them. They have forfeited their lives for this. That's what scripture says. Again, Rose, this is so much like today. And here's the third woe. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. The Babylonians took pride in their buildings, especially the city of Babylon. They used forced human labor, resulting in the loss of many lives 
and they used money from the spoils of war to support that building. And that building is for nothing, God says. It's merely fuel for the fire. So all of their building is done in vain. Yeah, and throughout history, we've seen that over and over, using forced human labor, child labor, people are losing their lives. It's all evil. It's all Mm -hmm. evil in God's eyes. It is. The fourth woe is, woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. So the Babylonians treated their conquered enemies shamefully. Not only that, God addresses their callous thoughtlessness at how they treated the earth and animals. Someday they're going to drink again, but this time it's going to be from the cup of the Lord's wrath, the cup in the Lord's hand. And again, Chris, we see this throughout scripture and we really see it in the book of Revelation. Yeah, we do. And the fifth and final woe is woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath in it at all. Rose, like all other pagan nations, Babylon ascribed their military strength and might to the false gods, to lifeless wood and stone who cannot speak and act. And boy, do we see a lot of false worship of things that can't do anything today. I think about thinking good thoughts. Yeah. Just or sending good vibes or putting that out there in the universe. And <laughs> Yeah, and, exactly. And the truth is all that stuff that we just said is as stupid as wooden gods and stone gods. And I love these verses in Habakkuk because it really puts it in perspective. Say to a wooden piece of wood arise. Well, anybody else would be like, well, that's pretty dumb. Well, that's the point. Yeah, exactly. So the woes end with this verse. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. And this is another thing we saw in Zephaniah when Zephaniah says, keep silent before the Lord. Habakkuk fears what's to come, but he knows about God's previous acts of salvation for his people. In chapter three, he prays, in wrath, remember mercy. And he continues to pray to God. Habakkuk recounts to God his past miraculous works of salvation for his people Israel when they came out of Egypt. Habakkuk brings these to God's attention, not that God needs to be reminded of them, but to strengthen himself. Rose, it just reminds me of an episode of 5 a.m. Theology that we did recently where we talked about praying scripture back to God. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Nehemiah used it, we saw, but many others do too. Habakkuk resolves himself to the situation. He's still afraid. I mean, who would not be? But he knows ultimately that God will punish the wicked. God's just told him that. And he waits for it. And here are his words. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. And again, you know, now that we're far along in these minor prophets, we see this over and over. Wait on the Lord and know that the wait is not going to be easy. So some takeaways from Habakkuk. 
Well, Habakkuk's first complaint about the wicked people in Judah could easily be used to describe people who claim to be Christians today. Habakkuk saw people who were supposed to be God's people flagrantly violate God's law without fear of divine punishment. We see this all the time. How many times every day do we see evidences of churches that are apostate? Chris, I just saw, I think it was an Episcopal church, might've been Methodist, I'm not sure, where they decked the whole altar out in pride colors and bought up drag queens and paid homage to them on the altar of God. I saw the same thing. And these false teachers who were telling you God wants them to have private planes or God wants you to be rich or God wants you to give to them so they can be rich. This is, this is all evil. I mean, and it's wicked. It's even more wicked than pagans because these people are calling themselves Christians. Exactly. We've argued countless times with people who claim to be Christians who want to add pagan practices like witchcraft, Eastern meditation to their worship. Like you said, Chris, we see Christians who say, I'm praying to God and I'm sending you good vibes. They think this kind of syncretism is okay, but it's not. People who think that God loves everyone and just winks at sin so they can live however they want regardless of what the Bible says, that's just not same. true. No, and it's, it's exactly the same as what Habakkuk is complaining about here. Now, Israel was God's chosen nation out of all the nations of the world for that time in history. His punishment was to bring other nations against them. Now God's people are scattered throughout the nations. Does God punish whole nations today? Well, that's a debated question. But the fact is, he does discipline his people and bring hardship and trouble at times to refine them. We can't judge an individual's salvation status. When we see somebody in error, we should gently show them the truth of scripture. But like Habakkuk, when we see apostate churches and some of this other stuff that you mentioned, Rose, we need to cry out to God about it. Absolutely. But we have, but we have to be patient and wait. But we should know that he will bring justice. And if you just think it through to its logical conclusion, we're to hate sin. We're to yeah. hate our own sin and hate sin in the world. So why wouldn't we cry out to God about it? Yep. We should cry just out like about our own sin. Yeah, probably first and foremost. Yes, yes. So Habakkuk's second complaint was that God was going to use a more wicked people than Judah to bring them to justice. The description of the Babylonians in chapter two could be read today about wicked people throughout the earth in every nation, especially those in power. And I'm not going to play favorites here, especially in the United States right now. Greed and aggression is rampant. Politicians have gained privileges through unjust gain. They have job security, health insurance, while the very people they're supposed to represent go without. The people they represent are trying to decide whether they should heat their house or buy food because they can't do both while the politicians are getting inside stock tips and becoming more and more wealthy. And what happens when the government closes down and they go home because the government shut down? They take it away from the military right. and other people that need it, but they never take it away from themselves. Nope. Nope. 
greed and unjust gain isn't just a problem of the wealthy and the powerful, though. Look at the looters who want what isn't theirs. We see this happen over and over and over again. It's been happening, especially in the United States again, Rose, and it's been happening for years with no justice. Absolutely. I just saw a video of more looters. Someone was on film videoing it saying, we have to eat, we have to eat. Well, they're looting Foot Lockers and Macy's and some other high-end store. So they're stealing yeah. sneakers and purses and not yeah. a bit of food in all of it. No, they weren't, weren't robbing a bakery or a restaurant. People in all nations are struggling from a whole host of problems in this fallen world. Persecution, excess taxation, exploitation, sex trafficking. I mean, you name it. Yeah, without a doubt. We see justice perverted over and over again. And my goodness, Chris, could we do an episode on that? You can't turn on the news without hearing about several acts of violence, idolatries rampant. And like Habakkuk, we cry out to God, why, God, why? We do. But none of this wickedness is new. We live in a fallen world where it often seems like evil is winning, but it's not. We may not know and we may never find out and probably won't find out how many people visited Epstein Island to gratify their sexual appetites. But God knows who did. And he's going to bring justice. Yes, he will. Not only to that, but to everything. And Rose, his justice is perfect justice. That's what keeps me going. We're in the same boat as Habakkuk. Will God make things right? Yes, he will. Sometimes he brings earthly justice. Babylon was destroyed as a nation, but sometimes he doesn't do it on earth in our time. So what do we do until he does bring his justice? We live by faith that he will indeed make things right on the day of the Lord. We remember God's salvation of his people from past history, and we trust even when we're terrified. Right. Habakkuk cried out to God, why, God, why? But in the end, he recognized the wisdom of God's plan and he chose to trust God in all circumstances. And he ends with this. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. And if his words sound kind of familiar, because most of the Psalms echo exactly the same thing. Yep. And that's a good place to end for today. Have a blessed day, everyone.